Hello and welcome to Beer in a Movie. It's me, Joe Hilliard. I'm with Dave Gurney and Ethan Thompson. Hey guys. Hey, how's it going, Joe? Hey, Joe. Dave, I think you've brought something. I've brought. Let's something get straight indeed. into drinking beer before we start talking movies. Sounds Absolutely, like a great idea. All right, so th- this is you know last week we were uh, talking about some sci-fi. We, we were looking at director Alex Garland, some of his stuff. But this week we're moving on to Tough Guy. Tough Guy, Tough guy Cinema. We're, um, we're going to watch Death Wish and Death Wish from 2018 and 1974. Right. Yes. Right. So uh, a potent pair. Um, and so I brought a a, a potent potable. <laughs> That's a Jeopardy potent category, potable. yeah, right? Isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but uh, this is Ol Oi from uh, Jester King Brewery, which Joe was remarking earlier, probably the most renowned brewery in all of Texas. When you look at those lists, you see Jester King is the number one brewery in Texas, and I don't disagree. Tell us why. Well, they're just, I mean, because they're doing fantastic out-of-this-world brewing. It's And, and they're always doing it in a way that's uh, a little bit unpredictable, because they have their own house culture yeast that they're always using, so that kind of brings a very unique... Uh, Dave, sort of, open that beer. All right, man, come on. Uh, but anyhow, I mean, I picked this because, Oloy, you look at the label, guys. I'll let you yeah. take a look here in a second. No, it's, it's, it's a crusty it's, old man. It's important to say, Ethan, you've got uh, Jester King deals mostly with sours. They're going to put yeah, yeast and, and bacteria in their beer to make a purposeful sour every single time. And they do it so well. And yeah, they do it in such yeah. a beautiful location. I would say also that uh, going to Jester King was a crucial step in my uh graduation in craft beer to upping oh my god this is what beer can be do you want to tell us it's story? like a wine uh type experience yeah. that you know and and they serve the glasses that they serve out of is more like what you would think people be drinking wine out of so uh this and just what beer can be jester king for me personally really opened my mind to what beer can be like it can be more than what's available at every other place right. yeah and it should be also about place yeah, and where right. it comes from and, and when you say place i mean this we're talking about this is a farm i mean we're out on the outskirts of austin texas uh in hill country beautiful lush kind of area which isn't yeah. typically what you think of when you think of texas i mean that's i think most no. people from outside the state would not be picturing that but it's just so beautiful picturesque open space and they source everything that they can from as close to the farm as they yeah. possibly can yeah. um but it including these like i said that this is stuff that they got experimentally and so you always get that you know there's you can just sniff the beer and you know it's a Jester King beer. All right, so I think we need to drink this beer for a little while. So, right. but, we, but we need to talk about Death Wish. Ol' Oi is a, real quick, barrel-aged sour brown. And it, this beer that you picked up, Dave, did you pick it up there? It's uh, bottled in January of 2016. So you've been aging it for a couple of years plus. That's right. So mm-hmm. it, it, sitting on that since it was actually the summer of 2016, we went out there to, uh, Ethan and I went out there to visit one of the Founders, um, founders, right? Yeah. Who who's since moved on? Uh, uh, Ron Extract and and his partner uh, Amber Watts, they left the brewery and now they are starting their own brewery in Washington. Garden State. Path, right? Garden Path Fermentation. Hopefully, we'll get some of their beer. I I should hope they should send us some. They should, yeah, absolutely. To Bruce Willis. <laughs> And to Charles Bronson. So, Joe, did you see this movie? No. Not again. No. You know, we rushed to produce, and I was not able to see the film. But let me tell you what I think, again, the expectation of the one that didn't see it. I'm, I'm, I'm truly objective about this. I haven't seen it yet. But I will tell you that in when the year that Die Hard came out, 1987? I saw two uh, movies on the same day. I saw Rambo 3. And Die Hard. 
I saw Rambo 3 first, and then I saw Die Hard. Rambo 3 was a caricature of what I knew Rambo to be, what an action film should be. It was Stallone making a paycheck. Yeah, right. Then I saw Die Hard, and I saw the evolution of the action movie. And I'm going to tell you right now, Die Hard and Indiana Jones, for me, tied for the best action film of all time. The best action film of all time. Die Hard. I love that Best film. Christmas movie ever. I love I will that. say that. <laughs> Bruce That's Willis, a controversial statement. Bruce Willis transitioning from TV star to film star, and he did it with this film. Everything we okay. know about Bruce Willis's movie stardom is this movie. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause right there and say, hey... Joe, so when you when you know and what made that great, mm-hmm. why he was great in that film, yeah. what was it about Bruce Willis that was different from Sylvester Stallone or what have you? What what did he bring He's to every, an action he, hero? Because he is every man. He is slight. He is he is not fat. He's not out of shape. But he could be what maybe I could be. He's not the muscle head Dolph Lundgren, John Claude right. okay. Van Damme, Steven, uh, uh, Sylvester Stallone. Then he's put into a real Okay, fine. Movie. Real situation. He's not even supposed to be there. He doesn't have shoes half of the movie. Then what happens? But then it was just fantastic direction of, of, of on-your-seat action. And then let's not forget, of course, uh, uh, sub, uh, Professor Snape, who was fantastic in the film. Okay. Fast forward 30 years. Exactly. We've seen Bruce Willis's career. We know that he's kind of... He's gotten older as happens older. in 30 years. He's not, 30 he's years not years the older. box office draw he once was, but if you're going to make Death Wish and you're going to do this thing where we have to remake every old movie and not have any original thought, who's the actor you're going to get? Bruce Willis is a fantastic choice. How was it, guys? I didn't get a chance to see it. Instruct me. Enlighten me. I've had a beer. Well, I'll tell you. The thing that uh, about that that you didn't mention with Die Hard that is great with Bruce Willis is what kind of TV show did he start out on? Moonlighting, which was what kind of show? Comedy. So he's supposed to be funny. Yeah, he has no humor whatsoever in Death Wish. Okay, and that's the thing that you want from Bruce Willis. Plenty in Die Hard. Let's let's be honest. Yes, yes. No, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And zero. He is so solemn, serious in this film. He's forgotten why anyone wants to see Bruce Willis. Interesting. Well, and, we, and and perhaps because Bruce Willis just hasn't been seen all that much lately, right? I mean, like it, we're talking about, like now he was a huge presence from Die Hard mm-hmm. right through the '90s mm-hmm. into the 2000s, mm-hmm. but there's really kind of been kind of a, a oh yeah a fallow period here sure. for, for Bruce Willis, right? right? I mean, we we've not seen a lot from this man. And have, have have we been waiting and anticipating his his <laughs> his return to the big screen? Well, you know, he could have done it with this one. They could have just gone all to the wall. Are you mimicking Die Hard by putting in that level of humor? Or are you trying There's to no mimic humor in this film. Death Wish? Because Charles Bronson, and we'll talk about this you're in right. a little while, not was a not comic. a funny guy. But if you're going to have Bruce Willis, do your best to Be resurrect. Willis. Yes, and I, I, I wish he had a time machine to bring him back, mm-hmm. as he once was. Uh, but there's no humor in this, and I, for me, that's what I want from Bruce Willis. I don't want uh, serious Bruce Willis. Well, let's back up for a minute, right? Yeah. Because we haven't even really talked about. It. I mean, for our listeners who have not seen Death Wish, either version of Death Wish, yeah. what, what is this movie about? Go what, ahead. What, what's going on? Well, okay, so we we have a man, and in, in the case of both films, who has a family, mm-hmm. a wife, a daughter, uh, and towards the beginning of the film, things are great, hunky dory. They they have a great family life. They're also loving, and then what? happens 
something bad intrusion it's right got to so become we, a revenge film right so so we have uh you know a break-in it goes bad we end up with um a, a, a wife who gets killed a daughter who's in the hospital spoiler alert and well, there, it happens early. it's the premise <laughs> <laughs> and and then a man who's left on his own and and i should say a man who prior to has not been one to seek violence mm-hmm. uh, as, as a means to an end here. He, he's somebody who's sort yes. of avoided it. He's a case. doctor. Yes. He spends his time saving, saving people and witnessing the carnage that happens. A key element of this film that's different from the original, it's set in Chicago, and they make a big deal about it being the murder capital right. or right. whatever. You get a lot of talk radio. You, oh, a lot of talk. Like they yeah, they yeah. loved peppering that in, in this new version. That was their attempt at trying to make it like relevant cultural conversation. Re- is, is really it like good is to bring, have a vigilante or not? Is bringing serious satellite radio making things relevant? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but I, but I, I, would, be, I, I would be curious to that... To, did they make a good attempt at doing some kind of social commentary about gun control, about the violence in the street? The, the problem with this film is that it, at its core, it is a MAGA film. And yet it didn't have the strength of its convictions to just go completely over the top. Speaking of which, we got a remark on your hat, Ethan. I mean, I, I, I don't think... Uh, I, if you're doing I, a podcast... It, right. We don't have the visual here for our listeners. And uh, just to describe, you're, you're wearing... Is that a... What is that when they have the the, the, the leaf, the gold uh, leaf there? It what? just means you're laurels, special. Laurels. Okay. okay laurels. But I think of it as like a military sort of, right? I mean, isn't that... Yes. Yeah. It, but in prominent letters, we have uh, fuck Trump on... Okay, good. Good. We're, is we, that what it says? Yeah. God yeah. damn. I, I know, no right? Idea. Did they sell it to you as something else? Uh, was that... I was given this. <laughs> he thought it said Tuck Frump, okay. and then we could go from I just there. needed, the sun was out, okay. and I needed shade on my forehead. But so. what is your point? You well, talk... just to put it in context, he, he brought up MAGA, and I'm thinking his hat is kind yeah, of well, the, this, the this film, reverse MAGA. You know, I mean, clearly, uh, Death Wish is a, a like notorious right-wing uh, film that's about vigilante justice, and now you're going to take it and update it for 2018. Mm-hmm. Right. What do you do? Well, what do you do? You set it in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Murder right? capital of Murder the United capital, States. Murder capital, supposedly. Um, your, your central character is a doctor who sees it every day. Mm-hmm. In the past, we're told, he used to fight people. But now he goes to soccer games and people um, spout off, but he does, he just... He holds back. He holds back. He, he, he lets his wife fight for him and then his brother talks about when he was tough and he used not to do that he's lost right. what he was in the past right he's gonna have to get it back that's right he's gonna have to get great again he's been demasculinized he has yep absolutely the other element of this uh and so what happens uh again this this is all setting up the story so it's not really a spoiler um you you go out to eat with your family at a fancy restaurant and you're, well, they were eating deep dish pizza. It's not that uh, fancy. Well, there's valet parking. You're right. <laughs> yeah, but in Chicago, you get valet parking for deep dish pizza. <laughs> All right. So. But but still, yeah. No, they, <laughs> it's a fancy restaurant because there's valet parking. Hey, we're in Corpus Christi, Texas, folks. It's like they it's like Grimaldi's. It's yeah, it's it's one of those. But it, it, it but they don't show a sign. It's not clear what it is. But they're having deep dish pizza. <laughs> that's where they drinking get... wine though. Yeah, that's they are the drinking thing. wine. It's like a... I had wine at Grimaldi's once. So did you guys root for Bruce Willis? Was it, was it set up in a way to where you want this guy to succeed? Sorry. You want him to 
kill and maim as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. That is the promise of a film like Death Wish. Right. Right. What I think. That, okay. So that, uh, to back up a little bit, I think what they did with that sort of idyllic breakfast scene at the beginning, the daughter gets into college, she comes down the stairs. Like, did did that not rope you in a little bit? Well, I looked over to Seth and I said something bad's going to happen. Well, okay. Right. right. We well, but it's, again, yes. we we it, know something. Screenwriting one hundred and one. It yes. is, but it, but it totally worked. And I don't know, that just may speak to me like, here I am, right. I have a family. Let's set the a, stakes you know, real like, high so that we know exactly what he's losing. Right, like here's this, he's on the precipice of like, this is this, his daughter is going to a good school. Mm-hmm. And, and he's then done they go out and they get deep dish pizza. Right. <laughs> and <laughs> At a fancy restaurant. The, right? the scariest yeah. thing that happens, you know, if you're in MAGA America, is... That you get valet parking and from a minority, a minority, oh, of course, a minority, yeah. And what do they do? They they can figure out where you live. Okay, and because mi- on your right on your on your GPS, yes, you your have GPS home program, yes. Yeah. And so he figures out where they live, and thus. So are you rooting for Bruce Willis? Are you rooting for Bruce Willis to right this wrong? You are, of course, you are, because you know bad things happen. These minorities do bad things, and it's not just one now, minority. It's an interesting, like international cast of foreign people that you can't quite. It's a foreign syndicate. The, I'll give them. I'll give them credit. There are a couple white guys in there for for that. <laughs> yes, but that they are foreign. But, but they're foreign. What? Yeah, probably Eastern European. Yes, but, they, sort of, y'all yeah. are tearing lottery the movie apart at this point. I mean, it sounds like you're being critical. Here, it sounds like you're. It sounds like you're. No, from a from a technical standpoint i think the film is well made i think eli roth okay we haven't talked about eli roth mm-hmm. eli roth here uh director yes. has made several films is kind of known more associated with super gory horror right Am made I right? the hostile films made That's the hostile the films, cabin, films. Fever. cabin fever sort of known for not having any boundaries in terms of like if we're right. going to show somebody get killed we're going to show their intestines so here's my <laughs> problem with this film <laughs> yeah, right. Let's let's make it clear. You guys have a history with Eli Roth, and he made it clear to you well, that he is not a horror director. You're referring to a story in the Movie Hour, a podcast that we did once upon a time. We were in L.A., uh, had been invited there to the Inglorious Bastards premiere, and I made the horrible, horrible faux pas. Podcast I suppose I said as a horror director, no, Eli he Roth. Took, he took umbrage at that. He took big umbrage of it. Now here we are. This is not a horror film. No, it's not. Although there are so, some elements. There are a couple little. But this is his first entree into not being a horror director. How did Eli Roth do as a director? I think he can make film. I mean, like the, the pacing is good. I, I never felt like the thing slowed down. I think it was a it was a, a tight whatever night was it ninety hundred and forty minute or one hour forty minute kind of yeah, movie. Yeah. It was it was tight in terms of its rhythm, its pacing. I think if you didn't have any sort of um, resistance to the idea of guns save the world, then probably you just went with it really well. I think, that, like Ethan was saying earlier, if you are the um, you know target audience for Make America Great Again, mm-hmm. then I think there's no problem with with w- what you're going with. I think where you hit blocks is where you start thinking, okay, this is all a little too convenient. Like, okay, so it happens to be this Hispanic uh, valet who takes his picture and and he's going to resist, but then he gets pulled in no matter what, and he has to sort of save um, his community, his family. Yeah, and to make it worse, of course, uh, the reason this horrible thing happens to his family is because he's been pulled away from this birthday dinner so he can go and save lives at the hospital where he is a surgeon, which is the least believable part of the whole film, that Bruce Willis 
could be a surgeon. <laughs> uh, but that's your baggage looks, of Bruce Willis. Well, you, I'm sorry, but you look at him. He, it's like what here does not fit. It yeah. is Bruce Willis here in this in this place. Um, but you know, aside from all that. I enjoyed seeing this film. Yeah. Hmm. I just wish it would have gone a little bit further because the pro- my main problem with this film is that Bruce Willis, I believe, by virtue of his power as a star, wanted this thing to be reasonable. And so his character in this film is not a psychopathic killer, no. which is basically what Death Wish, the original Death Wish, the character becomes that, just Killing people that need killing. And Bruce Willis, this does not get to that point. And the best parts of this film are Eli Roth killing people in fun ways. Yeah. There's a great scene with like a bowling ball up on a, uh, uh, Seth here called it uh, the, Eli Roth is Rube Goldberg of, uh, of, of, of film because this bowling ball crashes on the guy's head at the same time Bruce Willis sh- shoots him from below. It's great. But They could have just done a lot more of that. There could have just been the most ridiculous, grotesque killing. But instead, this is about a guy who's been wrong, who's taking care of the people that need killing. And you mentioned the Rube Goldberg thing, and I think that's good. That's a good... That's a good way to think about it, but you you have the uh, you were saying earlier it was humorless, and I don't know that this is exactly humorless. Remember the mechanic scene, right, where he's in there with the car and he's going to kind of uh, you know shake down one of the uh, members of the gang that had yeah, broken into yeah. his house, and and what does he do? Like he's like, "Are you going to leave me here? Are you going to kill?" You know, oh, and right, he's right. like, "Oh no, I'm going to let my Jack's Jack gonna take care of it," and, yeah. and he like pulls out. The you're car. right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that wasn't. You're right. Okay. But, there, but was I, a, there was a there was a glimmer of humor there but overall bruce willis wanted this to be like have you the kind of guy that needs to come back and take over to make things right i want to talk about death wish 1974 and there were what, how many sequels so I guess the question is, have, has Eli Roth and Bruce Willis set themselves up for a franchise film here the way that Charles Bronson did back in 1974? I, I think they might have been aiming for that, possibly, but I don't know. I mean, I, I haven't looked at the box office receipts on this, but I don't think this thing is making big money it's, or anything. It's had really bad reviews. I don't know what the... I can't imagine it's done that well. Although, but it, actually, you say that bad reviews, and I'll, I'll double-check this, but I think it was one of those where, like, Rotten Tomatoes, you look on it, and it's like, a, oh, it whatever, 10%... For critics, but then audiences, eighty-five percent. Well, if they would just, but if they had just uh, embraced the idea of a, he's a sociopath who's just going to kill all the bad people and had fun with it, they would be be more successful, I think. And that's why I wish it would just have the conviction of making him that crazy and funny. But instead, he's kind of like he's supposed to be a reasonable guy. Yeah, so there we go. 84% audience score, 17% critic. Well, I think this is like, this is a self-selecting film, right? I mean, I think that people who knew Death Wish is an established property, right? People know this is... Is it in 2018? Okay. (laughs) <laughs> good point. Good point. But I think I think to those who it's probably speaking to the most, yes. I think it's probably speaking to a slightly older older audience. See, the marketing to me was like, I remember there might have been a thing called Death Wish. Uh-huh. We haven't seen Bruce Willis in a while. Uh-huh. Ooh, there's a lot of killing. But is guns. he? But is Bruce Willis the person that you want to see? You know, at this point, could have been. Old, you, you guys have to tell me if I he seen was diehard Bruce Willis. Maybe there'd be a franchise, but at this point, I'm sorry. Sorry, Bruce. Well, but I mean, kind of, isn't that what I mean? Charles Bronson, right? I mean, well, we'll get into that. Should I see it or not? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I I don't know. I I wouldn't say that. 
Okay. I, I, I'm, I'm going to give it kind of, I guess if I'm going to give it, do we have a scale here? Are we going to come up with you know, a scale, guys? Yeah, and is I there, can't believe I just up, recommended this movie. But uh, <laughs> I had fun watching this film because, you know what? Watching movies for me is about thinking about it and talking about it. And I had the most fun watching this movie and thinking about, well, how did they change this for 2018? What have they done to try to make it fit? And maybe we can talk about that later. But before we do that, what did you guys think of that beer we just had, the Ole Oi? Oh, yeah, it was fantastic. Thank oh, you, Dan. Man, oh, you're welcome. Cell- yeah. The cellar aging. <laughs> Cabinet aging. Yeah, but, I mean, but for yeah. real, I mean, uh, that's that's an important piece of a lot of those uh, big beers. And Jester King does that. You tend to buy them and age them. Yeah. Well, they, Or not. You can just buy them and drink them and it'll still be really good. Well, that's true. I mean, I think that's the beauty of a Jester King beer is that they, can, they are ready to go when you get them. But you can also sit on them and have a little time and they will change a little bit. But don't literally sit on them. No, don't. Yeah. Time to open something else. What do you something got? Something new. We have got, I've got something here from St. Arnold's, which is uh, the oldest craft brewery in Texas. Mm-hmm. And Out of Houston. Houston. And, That's and right. Perhaps, I mean, I think that there are a few taken-for-granted breweries yes. in Texas. I think St. Arnold's is one of them. Real Ale is the other one where I'm just, everything yeah. they put out. Is so good. You know, I'll, I will say that I'm in general not a big St. Arnold's fan. I agree. I don't care really? much for their uh, lawnmower, but I do nope. like Art Care, or, excuse me, Art Car yes. IPA. I like that a lot. Art Car is in my buy it at the grocery store for less than $10 a six yeah. pack and put it in your rotation yeah. beer. Ex- but besides that, IPA. I'm not crazy about them. No, I agree. You disagree, Dave? I, I do to some extent. I mean, I think Art Car is great. I don't necessarily go to lawnmower all that much. I think it serves its purpose. But what I really love is those yeah, divine reserves. Like what we've got here. So what I've got here is a divine reserve number eighteen. And so this is um, uh, they do these single batch beers. Mm-hmm. They're all completely different recipes. And this happens to be an, a, a, an imperial stout that's thirteen point four percent. So um, I actually 13. went to the yeah four yeah we're finishing with a bang. I, I should say since I I went to the liquor store at, and bought this before seeing Death Wish and I told them I want the strongest beer I can find right because <laughs> this movie is not going to be good old school was uh, not available that's a high ABV yeah continue okay yeah. sorry um, just uh, real quick the point about St Arnold Dave is that they. A lot of breweries do that. They've got their mass production beer, right? For the for the sake of uh, St. Arnold, it's going to be the lawnmower. Uh huh. That's the one that you can get almost at every bar, right? I, I'm not a fan, but these one-offs that they do. Uh huh. What did you call them before? What was the divine phrase? Reserve. Yeah. The, well, the divine single batch beers. Yeah, the single batches that that St. Arnold's do. I look forward to every single year. They have a Bishop's Barrel every single year, which is uh, usually a barley wine and is usually fantastic. So well, let me just read to you the de- description of this uh, from their website. They used a grain bill that required four times the amount of grain as Oof. lawnmower. Which mm. we were just talking about. That's good. Oh, Dosed yeah. in two additions of Belgian candy syrup during fermentation mm-hmm. to provide an adrenaline shot to the yeast. So all that's about up in the uh, alcohol ABV. Okay. I mean, most other things. And, and it's a beautiful beer. I mean, this this is fantastic. But but to to counter what Joe was saying, like resting on, I get 
that they have had some beer. Lawnmower is a beer that's been around for decades yeah. mm-hmm. now, right? I mean, like, th- this is... But they... I mean, our car, we just mentioned, Raspberry AF, mm-hmm. which I won't even... The, we'll, we'll keep it clean. We won't say what the mm-hmm. AF stands for here, but... Well, I don't get it. The, the Berliner Weiss that they put out, I think it just came, at least mass production-wise, last year. Super good, light, tart, crisp, yummy, fruity beer to have in the summer in Texas. Um, you you have the uh, the five o'clock pills. I think is a good pilsner. All right, yes. it's not as good as Hans. I mean, I, the, the, I'll go with real ale there, but but still, I mean, I think that they have a number of good. Just they're going to be there on your grocery store shelves beers, but then they're also doing this stuff on the side. So yeah, and you're right. It's, we take we take them for granted. I just want to tell you uh, the tagline for this beer uh, on the last line on their description. Please enjoy Divine Reserve Number Eighteen at sixty degrees. And in the safety of your own home. <laughs> well, we are. Which we are. We are in a home. It's not all of our homes, but yes. Well, let's talk about Death Wish 1974. All right. Charles Bronson. The man, um, Charles let's, Bronson. Let's talk about Charles Bronson for a second. What? I mean, to me, growing up, you know, again, because we're, we're all of a certain age here, that uh, Charles Bronson was one of those archetypal tough yeah. guy. I mean, just... Think about the emotive range yeah, that somebody he makes has. Sylvester Stallone looks like a complex actor. Yeah, right. right. I mean, like he just when he's on screen, you just read, "You're in danger." Right. <laughs> like if you, if you are facing down Charles Bronson, you're not going to come out on the good. Did end he of have that, that re- reputation before this film? I, I mean, I think so, but it was but it was not maybe as the lead actor. Right, so right. What, he was in Dirty Dozen, right? That was right, of yes. course. Dirty right. Dozen, what else? Absolutely. Um, oh, geez, I was trying to think of that one earlier. That was, uh, like I said, like this bare knuckles boxing film that I've seen some uh, clips of. Oh, it was in The of. Great Escape. Right, right. So he had, a, I mean, he had a number of things, but he was always kind of more of a supporting character. A yeah, character Magnificent actor. Seven, Once Upon a Time in the yeah. West. So here he is. We're, we're going to give you your own film. And this, this, the year is 1974, two years after The Godfather. Yeah. Uh, but the, so this is a movie of its time in the sense of, and, and it's difference from the one today, you know, the setting is... The cities are out of control. Mm-hmm. Right. New York City is out of control. Back in 1974, the crime rate in New York City was astounding. Right. Yeah. S- similar to what we were talking about with Chicago earlier, right? I mean, which is where we're talking about yeah. that translation, bringing it into 2018. But yeah, in the 70s, New York City epicenter for urban crime and, and a lot of people States. a lot of our audience has probably seen this film and has memories of it i've watched it again yesterday to kind of revive it in my mind of what exactly is going on and uh, you know it starts out he's on vacation in hawaii this idyllic landscape and then he goes back to new york and very quickly bad things happen and the difference one of the key differences with this film is that it's a really random act of violence that happens to him uh, or right? his wife and his daughter uh yeah they're at the grocery store and there's this group of hooligans that are just like throwing turkeys around and being crazy and then they happen to pick up the address for the home of his wife and daughter and then they go to the house uh but worth worthy of note this group of hoodlums Led by Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> right. Really? In his first film appearance. Oh, yes. my God. He is the bad guy in this who traumatizes the daughter. 
and I, I won't go into the details. It's, it's much more disturbing. Words. It's 2018. Um, there's no actual sexual assault that occurs in this film. There's they an implication. The the, the, there's an There is that one who's like pushing a little right. too far, but it never gets there. Yeah. Right? Well, in 1974, in Death Wish, it goes there. Yeah. yeah. And Jeff Goldblum right. is the perpetrator right. of it. Um, and, and and so it's more like a random thing that takes place. And it's funny. The first time you see Charles Bronson, his character, he's walking around. He's an architect right. in this film, so very different. I he's remember that. Vividly. Yeah. And he's talking to this other guy he works with. And this other guy says, uh, you're such a bleeding heart liberal. Right. <laughs> he has that line that right. you're a bleeding heart liberal, Charles Bronson. Yeah. Uh, and so that's kind of like the same thing. Bronson isn't, you know, he doesn't have anything to do with guns, and this horrible thing happens to his family. And it's this random violence of the city versus what you see in Chicago uh, in, 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 the, in the more current ones. More calculated, kind of, yeah. 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 So the other thing that happens in the film that's very different is that Bronson ends up going to Arizona. Where he he's an architect, so he goes to Arizona uh, to help plan out this community that they're building, um, and he basically is uh, educated in the ways of the Wild West, and so he goes to Old Tucson and he witnesses, uh, which is this theme park slash place where they used to shoot westerns, yeah. this very fake shootout. Uh, with recorded audio, but the crowd just goes wild and they love seeing this frontier justice. And then the guys that he's working with take him out to a gun club and he shoots a gun and he gets the bug. Right, right. I, and now that you, so, so I did not get to rewatch this film for this recording, but I've seen it in the past. And now that you're you're uh, you're recounting that. Totally remember it. And again, think about the audience then, because he had been part of his character actor, um, you know, uh, track record was Westerns, right? I mean, he was was sort of known it. So there's kind of a wink to the audience there, at least those who would have, you know, been watching movies at the time. Like, oh, Bronson really is. Like, he he knows this stuff. He's an action film guy. And And we we need to get back to that kind of justice. Right. Like, if we were were, were to be real men. It's like one of the main uh, uh, messages of this film. So another key difference with it is that um, the daughter is traumatized. In the new film, she's in a coma. Right. In this film, she's catatonic because mm-hmm. she's been raped. And her husband is the biggest... Uh, what's a nice way to put this? Uh, well, he's like a child. He keeps calling Bronson dad, even okay. though this is, you know, he's the son-in-law, and he has no way of figuring out how to take care of her. And so he's just not a real man. Okay. He's got to learn to be a real man. He's obviously not up to the task because he is just a child. Uh, one thing I will say, though, about the film is made in 1974. Fantastic. Charles Bronson has got style. The yeah. fashion in this film and the home decor, I'm being serious. Yeah, Not right, in a kitschy, right. like, 70s way. It's really good. Yeah, it's always fascinating to watch these films that were made in 1974. <clears throat> the 70s, you got The Godfather in 72, right? You got Jaws, right? 76. The yeah. whole landscape of film is changing. What's fascinating about Death Wish, the original, 1974 was a huge box office success for the time. I will note that the composer of the film, the music... Herbie Hancock. Herbie Hancock. Yeah, yeah. And it's really good. It takes them eight years to make the sequel. In other words, you would 
You would think that they would have done it very quickly. Well, right? no, you would. Be- no, there was no sequel. Life back then that that wasn't a well, thing Godfather that we did. Too. So we've got uh, from seventy two, seventy four. We're seeing sequels take off. We're seeing franchises take off. So eight years later, and again, I'm imagining all of this. You've got the notion of someone sitting in a, a studio saying, "What are our properties that we could sequelize? What are our properties that we right. could franchise?" Mm-hmm. And Death Wish. Let's can we pull Charles Bronson out eight years later to do this again? The um, you can tell they put some money into that sequel, Death Wish 2, 1982. The, the composer? Jimmy Page. Wow. <laughs> the Jimmy Page. Wow. So now you've got this string of Death Wishes, and I have not... I, I think I saw Death Wish 2. I don't want to see them after that, because you know that there's going to be some diminishing returns in this thing. Right. But... That's why I was asking, did Bruce Willis, because you know that at the pitch meeting it was like, you're going to be the badass and you're going to shoot, kill people in really interesting ways. Let's make a franchise out of this thing. It's all in in, in 2018 going to be about box office. Did they make enough money for a Death Wish 2? Well, um, you know, in this film too, there's a lot more fun killing. People, he gets the original 74. Yeah, like he just goes off the rails. And and they were doing that intentionally, you think, back then? Well, and that's the thing is like he goes crazy. No, he goes crazy because of this and just starts killing people that deserve killing. Right. Whereas the new one does not do that, it doesn't have the guts to do it. Right. Willis Uh, never seems like he's out of control. No. Even though he's the most out of control element is the fact that he is not a good shot at the beginning right like he, yeah. he messes up he doesn't know like he he's kind of being a little but he's he's very deliberate about his targets and and he goes yeah. to certain areas because of that but uh but yeah Bronson in 1974 is, it's just he happens to be places and bad people show up and he kills them right right easily yeah. so so that's a change that's a change that we have from from 74 to uh, to 2018 I think you know the the transposition of it being an architect to being this doctor who's like saving lives and and, and witnessing firsthand yeah architects are pretty neutered uh, profession in this right. film it could have yeah. been anything right right now I think you know I think a similar dynamic is at play where you're taking somebody who's like okay this is not his background whether it be do- I mean in doctor they're kind of going diametrically opposed he's saving people rather than killing people but to make that switch um i i think i don't know i mean what well i think that a lot of it has to do with a, like he's a person of the city and he's lost touch with the outdoors in the west and he has to be taught like this is a big thing you just you don't just level out all the hills like you got to right. respect those you got to be of this place so i think it, a lot of it is about it's the city He's become effeminate because he's just such a city person, and yeah. he needs to be tough. I did want to say one thing that's that's really kind of great about uh, this that you know dates it uh, is that he goes to the gun club and he the first shot that he makes he hits the dead center and he inspires everybody so much that uh, they take him to the the airport and they say we put a little something extra a little gift in your bag you're gonna check that right so what do you think that was weed. No, no, it was a gun. He flew back to New York with a pistol in his right, in his briefcase, right. which I don't think will pass TSA screening mm-hmm. these days. But which, which is interesting. I depends mean, on the screener. So, so you think about the way that that played out in the uh, the 2018 Eli Roth Bruce Willis version, 
and you know what's his first flirtation with the gun it's going to that gun shop right with right. that really ridiculous sort of tv commercial that like attracts him to go there and he goes there and they're all about the like oh sure there's it's gun regulations but we can get around those and he, I mean, he gets weirded out by that and leaves it's, what did you make how did you make sense of that I don't, that's a good question. I mean, I, I didn't know what I exactly thought about that in the moment. I'm like, so they seem to be kind of, it's almost like satirical yeah. about the kind of gun culture that we have and that you can like, hey, come down to the shop. We'll get you anything you want. It doesn't matter what the laws are. You know, like, yeah, sure, you have to wait a couple of days. So all that, and yet, because he seems to be a very thinking man's vigilante, he doesn't want something necessarily tied to him. Right. He doesn't want to be tracked. So he that's so he backs off. He looked. Remember, you get that shot to the the eyeline match there to the camera. So he sees that. Okay, I'm being watched. I'm. Yeah. If I, I need buy a gun this that now, they can't trace. exactly. And so, how does he pick it up? And we'll let Joe know. Spoiler alert: uh, It's when somebody comes into the ER with a gunshot wound, and they're like moving the um, the the gurney around or whatever, and it like drops out yeah. from the side. There's a gun. Mm-hmm. Nobody else sees it. He kicks it under, and he's able to retrieve it later as his own weapon. So, no tracing back to him. Um, where it is. So, they, I mean, I thought that was an interesting move that they yeah, made. Sure. That they sort of, you know, the original Death Wish, it was more about, like, let's go back to the West. Yeah. The frontier where people understand guns are these things that are necessary to keep think, to keep law and order in place. Yeah. But this one, there's no nod to that kind of frontier justice thing. No, it's more like, uh, well, these guys that are running the streets know how to do things. We have to do it their way and take right. it from them. Right. And the government or whoever is watching us, we can't let them see us. Right. Which is fucking scary. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, so aside from uh, Jeff Goldblum, there's one other notable minor role character in this, and that is Christopher Guest. What? You know who Christopher Guest is? Certainly. Yeah, right. He he is like director. For yeah. yeah. For those who don't, Spinal Tap, Best in Show, Waiting for Guffman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. that Christopher Guest plays a very young cop mm. who happens to be the one that finds the incriminating pistol near the end that would you know make it clear who the who this vigilante is. And um, there he is, Christopher Guest of comedy in Death Wish. So Jeff Goldblum and Christopher Guest. Who would have thought it? Death right. Wish was where they came from. So what do you guys think about this beer? Uh, it is an Imperial Stout. It's Divine Reserve number 18 from St. Arnold's. I'm a sucker for these. I'm a sucker for these yearly things, like put out the 18, put out the 19, put out the 20. I'm always a sucker for those. But as far as Imperial Stouts go, this is solid. Yeah, oh, I mean, this is just so, good. so rich, so complex. I mean, you're... Every sip I take, I'm just kind of like, oh man. There's... I think I've got a 16 in my house. I'll bring it in for the next episode. For real, like like we can like say what yeah. are these doing yeah. from year to that, year. That is one of the things that, that this is a beer that you could you could sell her, yeah. yes, closet oh, or whatever it might be. Yeah. And yet this is um, you know straight. I bought it a couple of days ago and it's delicious right now. Absolutely, and for 13.4 percent, yeah, this is not all that boozy and no, flavor. no, it's not. Right? I mean, sometimes you pick up those really heavy imperial stouts and you will just it's burned your throat and i'll tell you um i i am cheap okay i am yeah uh and this was 8.99 8.99 for a bomber 
for a bomber right. of really strong, really solid beer. And you could, I mean, you know, you could charge 20 bucks for that thing. Yeah, I think, oh, I, I think that's easily. the market. I think it's the market we live in, but they're not, We're make, lucky. They're, they're not losing money on this. I mean, they're making a profit no. on this well, thing. I, I was say, happy to pay $8.99 well, for that. Those heavy boozy stouts, those heavy boozy porters, they always have like a, the booze. Uh, up front, you can yeah. you, you can feel and right. taste. They disguise it with like a uh, chocolate. That the it's like a, a, a light chocolate yeah, no. or a yeah. it's delicious. It's definitely yeah. The the malt bill is just perfect. They, mm-hmm. I mean everything here. It's it's just well balanced, really clean. Just it's it's a beautiful beer. I just I mean, don't think they, they, I don't they, they distribute too far out of Texas. So if you're enjoying that, it, do they the even go of, outside Texas? Well, I'm just going to say in the black market community, uh, this, well, this thing's sure. being passed around. But then again, is it? That's the thing. I feel like I they so. are. I think they're taken for granted. The divines and the jester kings are moving. They through. do. Okay. Yeah, all right. Well, I, I don't do the trading thing, but I mean, to me. This should be a yeah. top-notch Delicious beer that beer. people would want to trade for. Try call. to find this beer. Absolutely. And if you're in Texas, you can. Guaranteed, you're going to be able to find this beer. All right, so one of the uh, the things that we've been trying to do with this podcast is kind of talk about movie culture in general, things that have changed, uh, developments. And I would have to say that one of the greatest developments, and in fact, a force fueling this podcast is Movie Pass. I'm not on board. You got to tell me what this is. Well, I wish they were sponsoring us because I've been evangelizing about Movie Pass every chance I get. But this okay. is a service you uh, you pay ten bucks a month hmm. and get this little card, right. credit card, and you can see a movie every single day. Yeah. Any any theater? Any theater. Um, and but not 3D or like not uh, 3D oh, first or run IMAX, IMAX not it. not that stuff, but any other like regular price mm-hmm. movie. So I've used it, and I think Dave has too. Yeah, to watch the movies that we talked about Absolutely. in the past couple. So, of so one movie pass per person kind of thing. Yes, right now. Um, so you sign up; it's a monthly fee. You're you're paying whatever it is. It's, it's like a Netflix subscription, right? I mean, you're paying ten bucks a month, and then you go to the theater, and once a day you can see any movie of your choosing oh. at the theater. Now there's a little app that goes with it so you got to check in, you can't pay yeah. beforehand. Yeah. It's not um, the way this thing works is you show up, you have to be at the movie theater. Okay. You open up the app and you check in with the screen that you want to see. At that point, MoviePass download downloads or sends money to your card. And then you go in and you get your ticket. And you give them that card. It looks like a debit card. It's got a little MasterCard thing on there. And they just swipe it, pay for it, and you're done. Right. So that's why you can use it anywhere because it's just really a debit card is all it is. Yeah. So, it, I mean, I think, you, you know, you think about that in terms of the way that we're moving. You know, we've talked about this on other episodes with, uh, you know, Netflix and these kind of subscription-based and kind of binge-watching and all that. I mean, I feel like this is the step towards bringing that to the movie going experience yeah. in a way yeah. that you're just you're going to see a movie you're only paying 10 bucks a month you're going there for the experience and then you know you can buy a beer and it's like you bought a movie ticket are you guys watching more movies after you've absolutely i'll put it this way this is the first year since they expanded the number of best picture nominees that can happen that i was able to see all of the best picture all nine i saw all nine this year in corpus christi in Corpus Christi. Well, good for you. Absolutely. What was your favorite? Um, <laughs> it was. A, uh, what should have won Best Picture? I think to me, Lady Bird, Call Me by Your Name, and uh, 
now I'm blanking. There was one other that, that those were kind of the ones that I would have been most happy not shape to see. of water, not shape of water. I, mm. I mean, I I love Guillermo del Toro. I think Shape of Water was a really well done film. I wasn't pulled in by the the, the relationship. I agree I with think. what he's saying, um, and I did not see Lady Bird or Call Me by Your Name, but um, I uh, Dunkirk would have been my choice. I like Dunkirk, and I need to go back and see that. And it, a film that you did not like as much, I know that. I think I liked a little bit more. I feel like has given me insight into it. Darkest Hour. Um, just Hated no- that movie. <laughs> that movie and The Post is the worst Steven Spielberg film ever. I'll just go ahead and put that out there. And and if you don't agree, and then the, you should tweet us. Or and, what, what are they doing? And the darkest hole, the darkest hour. You didn't like. How the yeah, no. I don't know. I was mediocre on that. All right, tell us how people can get a hold of us for real. Yeah, so guys, go check out beerinamoviepodcast.com. That is the site that we that we will be putting all the info on and, and ways to get in touch with us. And a word of warning, there are some other people out there that had this idea to make a podcast about beers and movies, and they failed. <laughs> so... Uh, but you'll find remnants of them online. They might be called beers in a movie or even beer in a movie, but you'll go and they'll be like, they did something in 2015. And the real way to know is that you'll see guys that are just unattractive. And we're all very good looking men. <laughs> so when you see the good looking men. Negatory. Well, we're relatively speaking, Dave. <laughs> You'll know you found their own. But in all seriousness, beer in a movie podcast.com. We're on Instagram at beer in a movie. Um, and, you know, if you care to find us that much, thank you. Thanks for listening. Yes, thank you for listening. We talked about um, Alamo Drafthouse coming to Corpus Christi and <clears throat> revolutionizing like the, the types of films that we get to see here and, and making it a better place to live. The original Alamo Drafthouse, of course, was in Austin, Texas, and then they had a thing called the Rolling Road Show which is a big inflatable screen and you get to go see really interesting movies. And their whole thing was like Jaws on Lake Travis. So in other words, you're in a inner tube on Lake Travis right. watching Jaws during Jaws and they got scuba divers coming in and tickling your toes and that kind of thing. <laughs> they did one out in the middle of a uh, abandoned insane asylum that in order <laughs> on Halloween night and I went with my best friend Sean and we went out to go see a bunch of films and there was a unknown filmmaker there debuting his film named uh, called Cabin Fever. We did not know who this guy was. Wow. And he said uh, come see uh, the the we're going to watch a film called Cabin Fever and come meet the filmmaker he's uh, has a lemonade stand over here. <laughs> now if you remember the end of Cabin Fever, it's that uh, uh, the 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 lake that had the bodies that was causing the disruption that made you your skin fall off uh, had uh, was pumping water out of this lake to make their lemonade. That was the, the last shot yeah. of the film, so it all made sense. I got to meet Eli Roth that night, and then uh, I went to the Quentin Tarantino Film Festival at Alamo Draft House, the original Alamo Draft House on Colorado Street, which no longer exists. And Eli Roth was there because because Quentin had already made a fem- friend with Eli Roth, and then we get to meet Eli Roth when we're and doing you the immediately movie hour. alienate him. Oh, I only did that whenever we met him together yeah. for the movie hour when I uh, pissed him off by calling him, having the audacity to call him a horror director. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, we got to see Cabin Fever months before it came out in, in, in theatrical release with, with the director. That was, a, that was a big fun. So, 
watching Eli Roth move eventually away from horror into whatever he's doing now, which is going to be Bruce Willis films with no hope of a uh, franchise. <laughs> <laughs> Is that is that really what his career trajectory yeah, is? Yeah, well, I, I we'll bet see. you that he would be, you know, maybe he'd be a little more uh, uh, humble and w- if he was greeted with your horror director these days because he has we'll not see. exactly developed much more. We'll see. So join us next time on Beer and a Movie where we're going to drink some beer for and sure. watch a movie. Absolutely. Hello and welcome to Beer and a Movie. It's me, Dave Gurney, and Ethan Thompson. You're Dave Gurney? It's me, comma, Dave Gurney, (laughs) comma, Ethan Thompson. And you are Joe Hilliard. All right, let me start over. (laughs) I love it. it. Hello and welcome...